Hello and welcome to Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. Boom. Welcome back, Miss Perfect. How's your week been? Have you had a good one? Oh yeah, it's been it's been a busy old week. It's it feels like we've emerged out of lockdown into essentially the same thing. Um, so not much has changed, but yeah, it has remained busy on the film front. How about you, Van? Uh, do you know what? I, I I don't notice when we're in lockdown and when we aren't because obviously with not being needed in central London, I, I kind of just hold myself up here and uh, I kind of just work from the dining table now. This is my life now. That's, I, I can't say any more than that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to emerge with like long hair and a beard by the end of this. I think. Do you know what? I'm quite used to it now that I, I'm actually like, you know what? This is fine. I do miss it. But I was like, maybe I just don't like people that much. I'm quite happy to just be, be on my own. <laughs> there, there are people I miss. There are people I miss. There are people I don't. Yeah. And uh, more than anything, I really, really miss um, the ability to travel internationally for somewhat personal reasons. But uh, yeah. yeah, other than that, other than that, I could I could live like this. Yeah, you know? I, I, could, I could live with uh, you know staying indoors all day and not having to put on a coat ever. It's great. I know. But, uh, I, I love just uh, displaying my fashion to myself and <laughs> <laughs> to no one else. <laughs> Speaking of recording and working from lockdown, can I ask you a personal question? Before you we may. To, uh, Depends what it is. Actually. So you you were recording one of your your uh, uh, helpful hustle videos. Uh, yes. For, for your, uh, your your one of your one of your many venues, one of your many professional avenues. Yeah. I was watching. A video of you on YouTube, on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, the other day. Not, not that I stalk you on Insta or anything, Bex, but you, know, you just popped up in my feed, and I noticed behind you a full-size Pac-Man arcade. <gasps> yes, and actually, for anyone who can't see, well, you won't be able to see this, but it is behind me right now. Oh wow! Okay, so it's the it's the it's the it's the, it's the uh, half cut sits on a tabletop. That's literally like if you put it on the right size table, the exact size height of a. An arcade machine, isn't yep, it? Yep, and it's got four games in it. So you've got Pac-Man, you've got Galaga, you've got Galaxian and Dig Dug. So it is old school 8-bit nostalgia. And I have to say, I own the highest score in my house. Yes, that is right. <laughs> I'm I'm a full-blown retro pie boy. So I was introducing my uh, my young nephew to the Lion King uh, SNES game uh, yesterday, which he thought was uh, terrific. I'm a but... Sega Mega Drive Lion King player, actually. Uh, well, I think I have it on both on the retro parts. It's got all the different consoles. It's got all the different, yeah. Anyway, so let's move on to something cinematic and not video game related. In fact, definitely Damn it. not video game related. Um, let's talk about uh, two, two films that are available to stream from today if you happen to subscribe freely if you happen to subscribe to their respective platforms the first is on Netflix and marks the return after six long years the return to mainstream cinema of David Fincher, who I did not realise, because his name's so ubiquitous, he's been doing so much TV work and mm. things like that, that it just feels like he's always been around Manhunt, Mindhunter? Is it Mindhunter's yes. been happening yes. in that time? So it just feels like he's been making stuff because he's been on Netflix doing that after House of Cards, and he's back with a film for the first time since Gone Girl. So he's coming back from something strong here, and he's back with Mank which is the story of uh, Mr. Mankiewicz, played by uh, uh, Gary Oldman, who is, you know, by the standards of the film, there is some debate about this, the man who wrote Citizen Kane for Orson Welles. When we meet him in the film, he's bedridden, he's had a, a quite a serious debilitating accident, he's uh, in the throes of serious alcoholism, his handlers and Orson Welles have to assign people to, to keep the booze away from him, to try and facilitate his recovery. He's got a, a nursemaid who's played by uh, Lily Collins, who I didn't recognise about the first half of the film. What, you mean she oh, didn't look really? like Emily in Paris? Or Emily in Parasite, look, as my favourite yeah, account. Parasite. <laughs> Great Insta feed for that. Thank you, by the way. I really enjoyed <laughs> that. Um, you've also got Amanda Seyfried as the, uh, the, the Hollywood it girl, sort of transitioning from silent films into talkies. Um, who basically is the sort of linchpin of the relationship between Mankiewicz and uh, William Randolph Hearst, whom it's generally believed that Citizen Kane is based upon. So on the one hand, you have the story of the debilitated Mankiewicz in you know, the present day, which is his present day, which is still, you know, the 1930s. And then you have flashbacks to what led him, what, it, what may have inspired him within the fictional realm of the film 
to come up with Citizen Kane. I need a favor, but you're gonna have to promise you won't laugh. Given the state of the world, a tall order. You're gonna. I just know you are. I have got such a hangover right now. There's just a fighting chance I won't. I'm being burned at the stake, and I am dying for a ciggy boo. <laughs> there. God's punishing you. Watch those stairs. They're treacherous. Every moment of my life is treacherous. Any last words? Welcome to San Simeon. I've written worse. You've never seen it? No, but George Bernard Shaw is right. How's that? It's what God might have built. How do you have the money? This sounds right up my pretentious street. Um, <laughs> this is like, this is a movie that is like, this is made for award season. This is, you know, you've got Gary Oldman in there. You've got the golden age of Hollywood. Um, it was, interestingly, this was written by David Fincher's father. Script. It oh, was, it? yeah. This is an interesting It one. is. It, it purports uh, a now outdated and disproven theory regarding the writing of Citizen Kane. Uh, I will say, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's a great film. Okay. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put Lots of people do top. though. Lots of A lots of people do. And the kind of people that do do utterly confirm my assertion that this is Barton Fink for people who eat kale. Um, I I really can't think of anything. It's it's wonderfully made. It's a very gorgeous looking film. And true to form, you know, David Finch obviously can can shoot the hell out of anything. Um, But, I mean, he he knows the best people to work with. He's got a wonderful score by uh, Trent Reznor and Ascus Ross, who, of course, have worked with Finch on a bunch of things, including Gone Girl, Mm -hmm. Social Network, things like that. Um, The problem for me is it's not an inherently gripping story. It's an interesting story, but I think it's told in too laboured a fashion. It's told too matter-of-factly. It feels um, in much the same way that Zodiac was. Now, Zodiac is not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but nobody's watching Zodiac to be gripped for, you know, a great... It's not the most compelling. ...journey. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It is very procedural. And this, although it isn't a procedural, it's, it's, it's character writing, does feel like, well, how many ways can we come up with for this guy, in, you, know, we, you know, within the fiction of it, for this guy to have been ostracized and disenfranchised with old Hollywood while simultaneously dropping in as many shots lifted directly from Citizen Kane as we can. So at one point, for instance, Gary Oldman drops one of his medicinal alcohol bottles and it's done in the exact way of the snow globe famously dropping from Citizen Kane. You think, okay, I see what you're doing. The performance by Gary Oldman is great. Uh, mm. I even thought that Amanda Seyfried w- was pretty solid in this as well. Uh, but again, it's Barton Fink for people who eat kale. That's, okay. that's my be all and end all of it. It's for people who recreationally wear loafers. It's that kind of thing. And where can we catch but, it? Where can we catch Mag? You can catch this on Netflix, funnily enough. David Fincher's new home for the last like five years, five years or so, uh, on uh, on Netflix. So from today, uh, over on Disney Plus, however, something I think more more the speed of you and I, I think, than even awards bait. You want to take this one away, Bex? Oh my goodness! Fly with me from the motherland through to the real world on a magic carpet that's almost identical to Enchanted with Godmothered. It is the story of a fairy godmother in training who has to go on a mission because the idea of fairy godmothers is is i suppose dying in the modern world we don't need fairy godmothers anymore so she goes back and discovers a letter from an eight-year-old girl um needing a fairy godmother at that time and she goes back to fulfill her wish but really she doesn't really know what she's doing me again (gasps) it's me eleanor it's getting okay Okay. I'm your fairy godmother. Just back off, lady. Look, I know what you're thinking, and it's true. Most fairy godmothers are a lot older. But I think if you can overlook my youth and near total lack of experience, you'll find I have a real can-do attitude that's going to take us very, very far. I will call 911. Oh, I'll show you. No. Hey, please wait. No, please don't. I have kids. Meepo, Transagorum, this. for a ball gown? It's not my best work, but at least it's weather appropriate. Oh my god, it's happening. I'm finally losing my mind. 
Oh, don't be silly. This is magic? So there is a film that was in development 10 years ago that mysteriously vanished from all release schedules and no one's heard about it in, by my count, at least eight years. It starred Elizabeth Banks and it was being produced under Disney as a sort of revisionist take on a certain iconic character in which a trainee fairy would come into the real world for what would effectively be a rom-com and it was pitched as being elf for girls. Mm. The movie was called Tink. And Elizabeth Banks was going to produce and star in it as a you know, fully adult Tinkerbell. That movie never happened. And mm. I'm reasonably certain if you follow the development trail through, it leads to this film. Yeah. Which is effectively very much uh, a gender-flipped version of Elf. We should explain from the clip as well that the crack is here that the kid has you know, become a 30-something widowed single mum played by Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher, yeah. yeah. And do you know what? Look this format of Enchanted, right? So you get the cartoon version or the, you know, there's a bit of sort of animation in it, but mostly it's kind of fantastical green screen that leads you into the, what the motherland is and then moves you into the real world. Um, what that allows you to do is, is enjoy everything that I think that was the surprise of Enchanted. I think that's the element that it loses in this. It's, it's you know what you're going to get from it, but don't take that away from what this film is. It's thoroughly enjoyable for all the family. Gillian Bell is a great fairy godmother. It's got that Disney magic. You and I, throughout that trailer just now, were just yeah. swaying to that typical <laughs> Disney music. Yeah. Um, and it's got all the good things. It's been a little bit slammed in the reviews, I have to say. Well, this is the thing I don't get, because by default, this is the best film Disney Plus has released. Yes. Right? I'm, not, I'm, not counting Ham I'm not counting Hamilton, because it's not really a film, Hamilton. This is by default the best narrative feature film Disney Plus have added to their roster in the just over a year that we've had it. Yeah. And I think, like, as you say, Julian Bell, lots of fun. I mean, I was sold on this movie purely from the concept of it's a trainee fairy godmother who's played by Julian Bell. Now, when you get Julian <laughs> Bell cast in anything, you know the sort of character you're going for. Yeah. Which is either going to be sort of a clumsy schlub character or it's going to be she's the Lisa Simpson style overachiever. This is a bit of both of that. Yes. Both of those, to be honest. Hell of a supporting cast. Uh, Isla Fisher, very good in it. Um, Mary Elizabeth Ellis from It's Always Sunny. Jane Curtin in there. And one that made me really, really happy, which was uh, Santiago Cabrera from yes. Star Trek Picard and Salvation, who gets to be a romantic lead. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, your, he's your, is it Patrick Dempsey character in this? Yeah, he's, yeah. Pretty, he's literally at one point referred, accidentally referred to as Prince Charming. Is to it be his surname Prince in it? I think that was it, wasn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fairness to what to what you said, I think it very much knows what it is, and it knows even further than that, up to and including at one point the line "son of a butterscotch," which yeah. is literally one word removed from "ah oh, son of a nutcracker." You're like, okay, they know this is elf. Yeah, they literally know this does for this does for fairy godmothers what elves did for imaginatively enough elves. And if that's what you're looking for, a Christmas themed Disney fairy tale live action thing, then you know, I don't think you're going to be disappointed in this. No, not at all. And I would say, you know, if you're reading those uh, broadsheet reviews that are saying that this is no Enchanted, da 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 da, I would just say, listen, this is going to be a crowd pleaser. Go with your gut. It's on Disney Plus. If you've already got a subscription to that, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. And this will brighten up not just the kids, but your day as well. It's a really, really fun comedy. I loved it. I too very much enjoyed it. I will say, though, that for all those snotty reviews, I'll bet folding money that nearly every single one of them comes on the same same splash that contains a glowing review of a certain new David Fincher film. Welcome back to Offscreen. We have taken you on a little romp through the world of digital and now we're keeping you firmly on your couch. If the idea of going out to the cinema or, I don't know, venturing onto Netflix isn't exactly your bag, don't worry, we've got you covered. So we are kicking off this section of our podcast with a film that I know both Van and I love. It kind of holds up year on year on year. An amazing Academy Award performance from Robin Williams. Academy Awards for its writers, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. What am I talking about? Of course, 
it's goodwill hunting. Did you know that there is... Oh, this, by the way, is on Five Star, uh, Saturday night, 9pm. Uh, did you know that there is a theory that has been around since pretty much the time the film came out, that in actuality they didn't write the film, that Kevin Smith did, to which Kevin Smith himself has replied, have you seen my movies? Come on! That's not even vaguely believable. Uh, which, of course, the story of Will Hunting, who is a sort of he's a sort of natural genius. He's naturally gifted. He's a bit of a thug. He works as the janitor at a college in which he solves the unsolvable math problems that one of the professors leaves on the board for his pupils after every lecture and is basically taken in and, and they attempt to mould him, to sculpt him into the next great mind. And basically, adding to uh, adding to his uh, his molding is therapy with Robin Williams, who is going, who's recently bereaved, is dealing with that. But also, find they find something of a kindred spirit in one another, and it's this this touching exploration of the relationship between them. But also, how that stands in contrast to the life that Will Hunting leads with Chucky and all his Boston friends. Were you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? Do you have any thoughts of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own, as your own idea, just to impress some girls, embarrass my friend. See, the sad thing about a guy like you is, in 50 years, you're gonna start doing some thinking on your own, and you're gonna come up with the fact that there are two certainties in life: one, don't do that, and two, you dropped 150 grand on a <laughs> education you could have got for a dollar fifty in late charges at the public library. <laughs> Yeah, but I will have a degree, and you'll be serving my kids fries at a drive-thru on our way to a skiing trip. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, but at least I won't be unoriginal. But, I mean, if you have a problem like that, I mean, we could just step outside, we could figure it out. Nah, man, there's no problem. There's a beautiful scene uh, between uh, Minnie Driver and Matt Damon in this. There's like a duologue scene, I think, in the bedroom where they just, like, have it out with each other, and it's just heartbreaking to to watch it's it's beautiful though you know for about three years in the late 90s mini driver was the queen of bedroom uh, uh duologue yeah. uh, scenes like i remember gross point blank with uh, john cusack as well which is like one of my favorite movies i love that movie mm. uh, but goodwill hunting is this is just an all-timer and uh, worth it if you ever want to understand that gag in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, in which Ben Affleck and Matt Damon play themselves during the filming of Goodwill Hunting 2, colon, hunting season, which is <laughs> just brilliant. Um, on then to another staple of the 90s. This was, I think, four years before Goodwill Hunting. This is late 1994, maybe early 1995. Uh, Jean Claude Van, I think this is still, I think, Jean Claude Van Damme's uh, most mainstream high profile role is an adaptation of a near-forgotten Dark Horse comic. Uh, it is Time Cop, directed by Peter Hyams on Five Star Sunday night at 11.10pm in which Van Damme is Time Enforcement Commission Agent I'm doing this all from memory as you can tell Time Enforcement Commission Agent Max Walker Correct. Ten years after the murder of his wife Played by Mia Sara Best remembered as Sloan from uh, Firish Bueller um, Is you know a time copy, polices time And he finds himself in the crosshairs of a corrupt Senator played by Ron Actor-activist Silver That's his official designation, actor-slash-activist according to Wikipedia, the late Ron Silvery passed away a few years ago, sadly, um, who is basically manipulating stock trades, using time travel to fund his presidential campaign. Why he doesn't just manipulate circumstances so that he, by default, is you know president, I don't quite know, but it seems to be easier to manipulate the, the, the timeline for this purposes, as you'll hear of us. Give me the envelope. Thank you. The country's going down the drain because of the special interests. We need someone in the White House who's so rich, doesn't have to listen to anybody. What's that? The senator was having a fundraiser. You know, I'm in office. It's going to be like the 80s again. Top 10% will get richer. The other 90% can emigrate to Mexico where they can live a better life. So, Agent Walker, you're going to stay in. I think you plan too far ahead. Obviously you don't. Is this the one where he does the splits? I mean, he does it twice, but he does that in every movie. I've just no, sent you a message as that clip one. was playing, by the way. Oh. Sorry? 
Is this the first one? I think this might be one of the first ones. I sent you a message through our recording software just then saying, who uh. does this dialogue sound like in all caps with a laugh emoji? Because that's pretty much the exact diatribe a certain orange-faced, uh, <laughs> interestingly-haired president ca- came out with in his election campaign, which is, I don't have to answer to anyone, I'm rich, which is effectively what Ron Silver goes for in this movie, interestingly enough. And this was in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, so you know, take my what you will. Um, interesting uh, cast on this one as well. Gloria Rubin gets an interesting role in this. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Time Cop. I think it's held up pretty well. Um, it's never explained in, in that problem that we had with a lot of our action stars around that time, like the Schwarzenegger. It's never explained why specifically he doesn't seem to be an American yet works for uh, you know the American intelligence infrastructure but other than that it's a, a pretty enjoyable film that weirdly makes a certain amount of uh, scientific sense as well uh, is he is he Austrian uh, Van Damme he's, he's from Brussels he's Brussels. Uh, famously, oh, he's Brussels, his name was the mussels from Brussels yeah you had the Austrian oak the mussels from Brussels sly um Oh, I can't remember who else now. I forget what we called Steven Seagal, other than unwanted. But uh... <laughs> that's more that's more a modern take on Steven Seagal at his time. Like Nikita Under Siege. Come on, I grew up on those movies. Let's not. Yeah. There's a there's a t- uh, a post. I think it was I think it's on Twitter from Devon Sauer, uh, you, you know Casper himself, Devon Sauer. Yeah, who uh, famously he's, he's tweeted out. Uh, it says famously there is not a film set in existence on which you can walk without there just being ev- being everyone with a Steven Seagal story. Everyone has a Steven Seagal story. Wow, uh, I, I love even that. Ki- idea. Even Kim Jong Un has a Steven Seagal story now. <laughs> That's very true. Yes, it's very true. Um, So, yeah, Time Cop. I I would say it's worth checking out on on Five Star on Saturday night, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is some good old-fashioned 1995 fun. So I'm I'm down with that. So, yeah. And it's an hour and 39 minutes long. So It's tight and tidy, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So that's a good one. Okay, moving swiftly on. We have... I've not heard of this before, and you'll have to... You'll have to educate me on this. Lean on Pete. Uh, yes. Right, go on. This is an interesting one. So they, they press showed this uh, the day that we got shown Avengers Infinity War. It was, I think, the last movie I saw before Avengers Infinity War. And uh, it, this reduced me to emotional rubble. So Ooh. Lean on Pete, which is an indie drama with uh, an all-star cast, that in, well, all-star supporting cast. You've got a lead who's relative unknown. Um, all-star supporting cast includes Steve Zahn, uh, includes uh, Steve Buscemi as well, includes yeah. Travis Fimmel, of all people. And I think this was the very very early days of Vikings before Travis Fimmel was really a known commodity. I knew him mostly from the Council Tarzan TV show and his uh, underwear modeling for, I think, Calvin Klein. Uh, but this is the story of a young boy who has been uh, you know, raised by a single father. Mm. His father is locked up. Uh, for, yeah. I think he's violated parole. He's basically taken away. And uh, at the same time, the young boy has uh, started to find work as a ranch hand for Steve Buscemi. He's been working, looking after a horse whom he's been told is going to have to be put down. At the same time, his father goes to prison. He himself is going to have to go into foster care. So these two wayward souls go on a journey to find his late mother's long estranged sister. See that bad? This kid's a natural. Yeah, he's a good kid. And he ain't afraid of a hard day's work like some of these other kids. <laughs> Come on, Pete, I'm sorry. Just relax your arm. You're walking. <laughs> I know, I know, you're just excited. You did real good. Come on, Pete. You got it. Um, this is also directed by Andrew Haig as well. Is that, have I pronounced the surname right? Haig? I think it is Haig. I think he is. I think he is Haig, yeah. Yeah. And I remember watching, like, when he essentially launched Tom Cullen into what I thought was going to take him a bit more stratospheric than it did, but with mm. the film Weekend. And then he's also responsible for films like 45 Years. So there's a there's a, a style which I can imagine Lean on Pete will have to it. Yes, yeah, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be remiss in expecting that style now. Um, the thing about it as well, I thought he was an unknown, it was Charlie Plummer who at that point was only really known for King Jack, uh, which yeah, I remember I being absolutely blown away for. Charlie Plummer you'll know from all the money in the world he's mm. the kidnap victim. Yeah. Uh, you know, which we've uh, all forgotten yeah. that movie now. We only, we only remember it because, you know, Kevin Spacey getting swapped out. But 
he was he was the uh, the young boy who was uh, the, it was kidnapped. Yes. Um, I think this is a really great movie. It's eleven uh, fifteen. Yeah. Uh, on uh, on Monday night, it's um, say it's it's kind of a, a, a breezy enough, but quite emotionally wrenching tale. It's a little bit over long, at just over two hours. So for the time mm. of night, you might be better recording this one. But I think if you haven't seen this, which most people, you know wouldn't have yeah it's I, worth I your thoroughly time. recommend it yeah definitely definitely back check this one out absolutely so it's available for you guys on film four as well and as van said at 11 15 p.m looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news then say hello to the daily reel your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings hirings firings release dates scandals and everything else going on behind the silver screen delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower subscribe to the daily reel on all major podcast platforms or ask alexa to install the daily reel skill for your morning flash briefing make your morning cinematic with the daily reel Welcome back to Off Screen and the second half of your Movies on Freeview guide for the next seven days. And you know what? For a Tuesday, let's have a good cry, eh, Bex? Should we, should we take a walk down the Green Mile? I don't think I could do it, Van. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could see John Coffey again. <laughs> oh, God, it's heart-wrenching. Just for some reason, this has been made sadder by his actual passing. I like, I've not revisited the film since uh, 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 Michael Clark Duncan uh, passed, which, interestingly enough, was the day after I introduced my friend John Coulson to the movie The Slam and Salmon, in which he might have my <laughs> favourite catchphrase of any movie ever that I can't repeat on radio. So The Green Mile was a 1999 Frank Darabont movie in novel, in in in, in liter- uh, literature form, the uh, it, was, it was written as a novel. I think broken up into smaller novels that were then released in stages, released like one a month by Stephen King. Uh, in the novel, it actually takes place at Shawshank Prison, and mm. there are actually references to Andy Dufresne and Red and other characters from the Shawshank Redemption. For the film, which is directed by Shawshank Redemption director Frank Darabont as well, it seems to take place in a different prison yet uses a surprising number of the supporting cast from the Shawshank Redemption. And it is the story of the Green Mile, which is the, the, the space between the cells and the electric chair on death row in this penitentiary. Um, the staff is led by uh, Paul, Ed, you know, Warden Paul Edgecombe, who's played by Tom Hanks. Uh, his supporting cast includes David Morse, includes uh, Doug Hutchinson, who was quite a rising star at the time, and I think faded, in, faded into obscurity following something of a minor scandal some years later and uh, of course one of his inmates uh, well he has several inmates one of whom is a young Sam Rockwell and another who is John Coffey a, uh, a, a very large black man who is uh, because this is set in sort of the 1930s is uh, I think comes from a plantation is, is basically illiterate and has been blamed for the murder of a young girl that he protests his innocence your name is John Coffey Yes, sir, boss. Like to drink. Only not spelled the same. Oh, you can spell, can you? Just my name, boss. J-O. My name is Paul Edgecombe. If I'm not here, you can ask for Mr. Terwilliger, Mr. Howell, or Mr. Stanton. These gentlemen right there. Questions? Do you leave the light on after bedtime? Because I get a little scared in the dark sometimes. If it's a strange place. Oh, good Lord. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> um, how is this 20 years old? Again, it's, it's one of those movies that just doesn't... It doesn't feel like it ages. Like, you can watch it again and again and again. This is your Goodwill Hunting. This is, you know, your Green Mile. There was a, a plethora of movies at a certain time throughout mm. the late 90s, early to mid-2000s that just... They just stand up because of the stellar acting, the cinematography, the storytelling, everything about it is just, oh, yeah, it's a winner. There is a popular theory that uh, 1999 was the best year for films. Yeah. Which uh, I can absolutely, I can believe, to be really honest. I thought, uh, I'm a big big, uh, 90s fan, as you know, as are you. And um, it's... uh, 
It's a fascinating film, The Green Mile. It is very much part of the Frank Darabont canon. Uh, very much part of the, the Frank Darabont, Stephen King canon that went mm. on to give us Hearts and Atlantis, I think, that kind of killed oh, yeah. the dead. But uh, Darabont will then move on to uh, The Walking Dead some years later. And again, a lot of the supporting cast from this would turn up in that. They also turn up, I think, in The Mist as well. So there is this troupe of Stephen King-friendly actors who work with Frank Darabont, who he, you know, he moves from one cycle to the other. But, uh, oh my God, The Green Mile, just the dialogue. Slate. Yeah, uh, yeah. That is uh, on at 10.30 on Tuesday night on Channel 5. And I'm going to pick up on a comment you made about it there, Bex. Okay. She said, this doesn't age. And I'm going to give you a film for Wednesday that, believe me, does age. <laughs> it is, of course. It is 19... This had aged by the time it had arrived. Okay, so this is a film from 1990 starring Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen and also Dennis Haysbert in one of his most high-profile film roles. It is 1990's Navy Seals, which feels like it comes from about 1984 despite being released in 1990. And it follows a troop of a, a, a Navy SEAL unit who are sent into Beirut, which again tells you how long ago this was. <laughs> um, after involving themselves with a journalist played by Joanne Wally Kilmer, which again shows you how long ago this was, to, to liberate Ameri American-made weapons from terrorists. And if this doesn't sound dated enough for you, I present to you, again, remember, Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen are the two faces of this unit. I present to you the trailer for Navy SEALs. One is a leader. Let me take my team back in there. The other, a daredevil. Yeah! That's Hawkins. That's normal? No, that's abnormal. I told you to stay put. From me, huh? You still don't get it, do you? You're looking for a rush. Well, I hope you got it. Together, they're America's designated hitters against terrorism. You're involved. I don't create the news, I report it. If America kills our people, then our people will kill Americans. We're going to Lebanon, baby. That's all you gotta know. Born to risk. We're gonna have company. Body just got bigger. Trained to win. This doesn't look good. I just got worse. Right, I've got two things to say. Okay. Yep. Number one, for anyone of a young age, i.e. born after the year 2000, <laughs> you're only going to imagine that that trailer is the parody stuff that you would see in a modern movie. Okay? Not the real interestingly, thing. Interestingly enough, right, yeah. that exact trailer voice appears over the trailer for Hot Shots Part Deux that directly parodies this film with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. It's this weird full circle thing. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Now, the second thing that I wanted to say is if you give it a Google and you look at the um, the poster for these movie for this movie. <laughs> I have been immediately transported back to um, you know to when I was a kid going into like a spa, as in like the the a convenience store spa or something. Yeah, the and they would have a VHS um, or Betamax. A bargain bucket that they would have. How old are you that you you rented Betamax? Um. I never rented it. I just remember going through the selection and going, oh, I quite want this movie. Oh, no, I can't have it because it's Betamax. So I have to go okay. and get the VHS. So that's that's where I remember Betamax. But they would always have a little wire bin next to it of B-movies that would be yep. thrown in there and they would have a poster quite like Navy SEALs. I mean, what is this eagle that is on there? It's insane. It's, I, I, they don't make movie logos like anymore like the one they made for Navy SEALs, that's for damn sure. Um, do you know what? Navy SEALs has its moment. Again, to use a Kevin Smith reference, this does get smack-talked in uh, Clerks, quite famously, when Randall's listing off his uh, his, his worst customers. Yes, I can, I can see the SEAL. I think it's legendary, that one. Um, I, I'm actually kind of a fan of the cheese factor of, of Navy SEALs. I can't recommend highly enough that you check it out on uh, Wednesday night on the Paramount Network at 9pm. It's the kind of thing that'll be over in 90 minutes, so... Yeah, and I just have to say, I've just I've just shared with Van very quickly a shot of the poster I'm talking about. The reason why you might not... What I love about this is that this is the French poster for it, right? And oh, their, yeah. strap, their strap line is Air, Terre, Mer. <laughs> that is it. Oh. What's that? It's like really... one, two, death? Was... No, air. Sure. So air in the air. I don't know what tear means, but mare is sea. So air, land, and oh, sea. Oh, uh, air, land, sea. Uh, tear yeah. means land. 
Hence terra firma and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah Navy, Navy Seals um, also has my favourite ever exit from a moving vehicle, uh, as demonstrated by Charlie Sheen when he simply just gets out of an open, he just stands up in an open top jeep that's driving over a bridge. This is recreation, like on his day off, and just jumps over into the water to get out of the conversation. I love it. Can't fault it. It's terrible, but it's enjoyably terrible. Yes, it is. And that is available for your viewing displeasure on uh, <laughs> on Paramount at nine o'clock. Um, so moving on to something that is ultimate pleasure and sometimes one of those versions where a sequel just might outdo the original mm. movie. This is 22 Jump Street. It's on Channel 5, 10.25 p.m. Um, this is this is Channing Tatum and, um, and the brilliant uh, Jonah oh, Hill. Wow. As, as you, you kind of... You've seen them and you're going to see them again and you're not going to believe it. This time in 22 Jump Street, Schmidt and Jenko, the two undercover cops who are just complete knuckleheads, they're sent on a mission to a college to investigate the use of a recreational job, uh, drug called Wi-Fi. <laughs> and their bond is tested when Schmidt befriends a girl called Maya. Same identities, same assignment. Going back to high school? Your ass look like you're about 50. You're going to MC State. Somebody's out there, they're cooking up a new drug. It's Adderall mixed with ecstasy, mixed with God knows what else. It's white, wipey, wipey? No, you dumb mother Wi-Fi stands for work hard, yes, play hard, yes. Now these kids take this and they get laser focused for about four hours of studying and then they party like it's goddamn 1999. We're going to college, for real? Why every time you speak, I want to throw the up? Infiltrate the dealer. Find a supply. You have no idea how difficult it was to find a clip from this movie that could be safely bleeped and was safe for broadcast. Uh, I'm a big fan. I agree with you completely, Bex. There's a serious argument that this might be better than the first movie. Yeah. It's noticeably more meta, but what it does is leans into the conventions of the sequel. It leans into every possible avenue that sequels have always employed and exploits them wholeheartedly, up to and including the fact that even the concept of the film comes from the final line of, of the first, which is, you two are going to college. And then, obviously, the sequel comes along, we're literally going with that idea. But as you heard in that clip, it's, it's the same case. It's the same plot. Do the same stuff. And that's the argument used. Yeah. I remember, I don't know if I went to the screening for this with you, but this was a full evening screening of it. They take the, they take the drug in this, don't they? And they have this mm -hmm. whole... The whole drug-taking sequence <clears throat> is you will be... Like, the whole cinema was erupting. This is kind of wet, like, I suppose, in a way, when uh, Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street takes the ludes. It's that level yeah. of comedy in it, and it's brilliant. Can I ask, do you remember what song plays during that hallucination sequence in 22 Jump Street? No, I can't. I can't remember. It, it is the seminal... Uh, seminal uh, era, 2000 era classic. It is Higher by Creed. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, shout out have... to Mr. Wilson for that one. There we go. I do. I do also have to point out. I've just had a quick, a quick look online, right? And there mm. is, a, there is a review on here which I have to say I thoroughly disagree with. And this person probably needs to take their head out of somewhere not so pleasant, but they basically called it cinematic offal that's incredibly inane, tedious, and foul a dim-witted waste of time and a mocker of a morality that makes Dumb and Dumber look like a product of high art. I mean, I couldn't disagree more. I think get a sense of humour transplant and just get down with the kids. Like, this is... This was brilliant, this, this film. It was, and I got folding money, says that review came from The Telegraph. Anyway, 22 Jump Street on Channel 5, Thursday night, 10.25pm. I think it's a tremendous sequel. It's got so, so many great gags. And of course, who plays the uh, the villain in, in 22 Jump Street? Because this loops back in our conversation. Do you remember who plays the villain in 22 Jump Street? No, I, it's not... Um... No, I don't remember who plays the villain in this. It's it's our fairy godmother herself, Gillian Bell. This is the first thing yes. I remember seeing her in. Oh yes, now I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. She has the fight scene. She has the fight scene with Jonah yeah. Hill, the ridiculously sort of feeble fight scene where it just turns out that neither one knows how to fight. I love this movie so much. Also, Channing Tatum running around taunting uh, Ice Cube for a certain sexual act is just hilarious. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, on Friday night, to round out the week, let's go with something not so much a, a mainstream 
hit, as it is a critical success. Let's talk about Taylor Sheridan's Hell or High Water, which is on film four at 9pm. Do you remember this one, Bex? We've got to be confident. I don't, but what I would say about it is that it's, it stars Chris Pine and also Jeff Bridges. But you know what Chris Pine is? He's a serious actor. So in that respect, you're going to get something quite serious with this. Well, T- Taylor Sheridan wrote this. He wrote uh, the Sicario movies. He was the, the yeah. actor from Sons of Anarchy who went on became became a filmmaker with Sicario. I think that was his first high-profile script. Uh, this pairs Chris Pine and Ben Foster as brothers. Oh, the brilliant um, who Ben Foster. Were, yeah, that's it. They and they basically have to uh, basically commit crimes in order to save the family ranch, um, much to the chagrin of Jeff Bridges, sheriff. Really wonderful film. Let's have a snippet before we before we go to the break. Put the gun on the counter. You trying to get us killed? I steal from some old man. We steal from one place. That's it. You're turning out to be a poor ass criminal. Woo! See what the early bird gets. Hey, we should hit that ranch, Jane. No, we ain't. We hit those banks first thing in the morning. When they're empty, when they're empty. It's the last time I can't get shot at. You gotta be smart. We're ways from being finished. I can do this all week. We're gonna. <laughs> We're like the Comanches, little brother. Raiding where we please with the whole of Texas hunting our shadow. I think this is an excellent film, and uh, I don't think this was was seen by very, by very, that many people um, outside of sort of the critical circle. But I know it had some very minor awards buzz. It didn't quite get there. Um, one of these days, Taylor Sheridan will just start scooping up Oscars, particularly for uh, writing. But in the meanwhile, if you want a great pairing, you want to see uh, Chris Pine and Ben Foster in full rugged cowboy criminal mode. Check out Hell or High Water uh, Friday nights, 9pm on Film 4. Can't go wrong. Welcome back to Off Screen. So we've kept you on your couch and now we're taking you across to DVD Blu-ray streaming. All of that jazz as well. So we're kicking off with, well, this is an interesting one. We're kicking off with The Godfather Coda, The Death Mm. of Michael Corleone revisited right well that's it yeah that's it this is this has been uh in, in, well we've kind of only really known about this for about six months basically uh francis ford coppola has gone and re-edited godfather 3 he shot new material i think for the intro for the for uh the intro and then he shuffled i think he's re-edited the intro and outro as well uh this is effectively meant to be a much better version of godfather 3 uh, which has i think always gotten an unfair rap mm. godfather 3 it's nowhere near as, as bad as anyone makes it out to be. Godfather 3 is exactly as good as The Dark Knight Rises, put it that way. Yeah. The problem is, if you're following Godfather 2 or The Dark Knight, there's going to have to be a climb down. In terms yeah, of but, it, it's, but interesting, is, um, it's interesting that um, Francis Ford Coppola was like, I, I need to redo some parts of mm. this, that he's almost pa- like pandering to the critics in a way. Well, there, there is that element too, but also when has Francis Ford Coppola ever been afraid to re-edit his own films or reissue yeah. his own films? There's about nine different versions of Apocalypse now at this stage. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to the cinema and seeing Redux in 2001, and I'm pretty sure there's been two or three other versions uh, since. But uh, that's like, I mean, I, we can judge for ourselves. He's getting a limited theatrical release this weekend on the 5th and 6th, so uh, tomorrow and Sunday. Uh, but it is available on on DVD and Blu-ray uh, from oh no it's not it's actually it's not on DVD because I know this particularly annoys Zara Phelan because she <laughs> has she only buys DVDs I think it's on uh, Blu-ray and digital from uh, Monday the sixth also 4K possibly but also out that same day is this was released on I think HBO Max in the US it was given a theatrical in the UK and is now being released on DVD and Blu-ray uh, finally this is Seth Rogen's An American Pickle in which Seth Rogen plays two roles. He plays a, a, a European a European immigrant to uh, sort of 1920s New York who finds himself accidentally encased in pickle brine and reawakened in the 21st century and then taken in by the other Seth Rogen character who happens to be his only living descendant who is a sort of woke millennial website designer type. I think he's an app designer, aspiring app designer. And the two sort of incident, sort of accidentally become rivals. It's been 100 years. The pickle brine preserved him perfectly. You're too old to do that. The world has changed. 
Everyone I know is gone. You were able to track down a great grandson. Greenbaum. Greenbaum. <laughs> this is nuts. Walk past the cafe, but you don't eat when you live to. Your parents, where are they? They passed away. It was a car crash. He will tell me everything of their deaths, how their bodies died, their faces as the life left. We will bond over our pain. Mm-hmm. You quite enjoyed this, didn't you? I thought this was that was great fun. I I thought Seth Rogen's performance, like on, on both counts, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think the film itself had a lot to say. I mean, there's a, a point at which they noticeably just say, "Just stop questioning the logic of this. Just go with it." And Seth Rogen literally does that in the voiceover as the older character Herschel by saying, "Then the scientist put me in a press conference, and uh, it made complete sense to everybody, and nobody had any issues with it." And I'm like, yeah, thanks, Seth. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for addressing that. That's, yeah. that's the best one I've heard since Austin Powers when Michael York turned to camera and said, and I suggest you don't worry about it either. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Nice. Do you know what? It also stars Sarah Snook as well. For anyone that's a Succession mm. fan, we'll recognise her from this as well. Do you know what? For me, I, I think this was, unfortunately, when this came out, we're in the, the height of lockdown it kind of, what it maybe would have done had it had like a bigger marketing platform behind it, sort of cinematic release, all that kind of stuff, it probably just lost it because of that. Well, it also came out in a very stacked uh, release window in terms of known properties because it came out against Mulan and Bill and Ted faced yeah. the music. Yeah. Which, you know, as far as like, you know, Fan, fan, fan drawing spectrums go. It's hard to get any bigger than those two. I mean, that's those are two very distinctive audiences, and that does not leave a lot of leftovers for yeah. another film. And I would so say, kind of got, uh, I, would, I would say, out of those three as well, there was only one big triumph, and that was Mulan, really, because you know that that's the problem with it is that you know we've got like you say those different audience spectrums but also mm. the one that's the most commercial is always going to triumph because you can introduce that to not necessarily the dedicated audiences but those younger ones as well who will just definitely want to watch it because it's warm and fuzzy um but there we go that is um american pickle uh and that is available is that available on, on DVD? DVD and Blu-ray, that one, from uh, Monday's, oh, sorry, Monday's the 7th. Sorry, not the 6th. Uh, Monday's the 7th. Uh, same day you can get Godfather Coda on Blu-ray, 4K, and digital, I believe. Okay, so moving on to streaming. Uh, Netflix, this has been quite widely touted already. Um, lots of mm. people who love a bit of jazz hands, <laughs> love a bit of a musical fun, <laughs> are going to be really excited for The Prom, which comes out. Uh, it's It's got, the all-star cast includes Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, James Corden, <laughs> um, and and many many more as well but just to, i'm just gonna go with that i just oh god really does james Corden have to be in everything right now ariana grande is um, in this kerry washington he, I mean, he is um, in a big he is in a pretty decently sized movie out next week as well it is worth saying um I, I was right by the way we were talking before the show and i said this has got to be a ryan murphy film surely and you yeah. know what yeah director ryan murphy it's right here oh then it will be very glossy right i am mm. quite excited to see this i'm a big fan we've talked about this and we've debated this before I am quite a big fan of Ryan Murphy's work I do love it um, but and I, I, you know, I will go and watch whatever he puts out because the style appeals to me so this even if you're not into musicals this might just be something that will be up your street anyway because of the style. Well, it's quite a, a timely story. I mean, the plot revolves around a, a high school girl who wants to take her girlfriend to prom mm. and is told by her cons- very conservative, uh, you know, Christian kind of school that that's not something they'll allow. So basically you get a, the, the big name cast are, are, are theatre actors who swamp into this small town to put... Uh, to put a prom on for her and her girlfriend, so it's yeah, I, I kind of see the the, the 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 cultural topicality of it works quite well. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it anyway. We also have uh, Giving Voice out this next week, which is a, a documentary about the August uh, is it August Wilson, I believe, the American playwright who wrote Fences. Yes, August Wilson. Denzel yeah. adapted a few years ago. This is about his monologue uh, competition and about the the, the kids who. T- take part in it every year. August was that one writer who saw me. And when I say me, I I do mean me, but I also mean people like me. 
We live in a culture where we forget what happened two weeks ago. And to know who you are and what you should be doing, you have to first know what your history is. I mean, he's talking about us. He's talking about me. I'm like, oh, shoot, that's like my aunt up there. We got a good thing, babe. Welcome to the 2018 August Wilson Monologue Competition. We started this competition the year after Mr. Wilson passed. We were grieving at the loss of America's greatest writer. I think this is going to be, for a very specific audience, uh, this is going to be something that you might st- stumble across. Um, you will have seen Fences, that Denzel Washington movie. Mm. You may have loved it. I wasn't a massive fan, only because I thought it was way too theatrical for it to be something that you'd want to watch in the cinema. But if you're interested in it, if you were a big fan, this is the documentary behind, you know, I suppose the person behind it and also this huge competition that goes through. So uh, it'll be interesting. It's a learner. It's an educational piece, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so those those two, those two movies are going to be on uh, Netflix from next Friday, the 11th. Uh, also, that day is going to be the arrival of I'm Your Woman on mm. Amazon Prime, which is being touted as uh, quite a decent uh, theatrical vehicle, although not actually in theatres, for uh, Rachel Brosnahan. Yeah, I, I believe is she Mrs. Maisel. She's Mrs. Miss Maisel, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Is she Mrs. Maisel? Ms. Maisel. I can never remember. I can't remember. This is a 70s set, uh, 70s set crime drama. She is a woman with a young baby. Um, she has a, a criminal husband who betrays his father. Basically, forces them to go on the run. That, that's the, the crux of it. Um, I was worried that this... I mean, I've got the screener to actually watch this next week for review. I was, I've was i been quite paranoid that this will turn out to be you know something on par with The Kitchen from mm. a couple of years ago. Hopefully this will fare better. I would think Rachel Brosnahan would give you something of a guarantee of a little bit more quality than we got with The Kitchen. Yeah. But uh, we shall find out next week. Absolutely. And just, um, just, just out of interest on this, the screenplay was written by, and I hmm. recognise his name, Jordan Horowitz. Uh, now, he was actually a producer behind La La Land, who I think yes. at the Oscars went to go and pick up the award. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy. I just, I just pulled up his IODB file. I'm like, I know that face because I'm yeah. blushing. Yeah, there we go. So, um, yeah, if you're, well, I don't know, he'll bring maybe some La La Land charm to this as well. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that's a good one to be looking forward to, I think. Well, so next week, uh, we've got uh, another James Corden, because we mentioned him earlier, James Corden's uh, latest uh, vehicle, this time with <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. It is Super Intelligence, which mm. I, I have I have decent expectations for, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we have uh, Margot Robbie and I think you said Finn Cole from yes. Peaky Blinders? Yes, indeed. So he's Michael in Peaky Blinders. I just said he's had a massive upgrade here because he's now playing, I suppose, a love interest of Margot Robbie. What a jump for him. Um, actually, to be fair to him in Peaky Blinders he does end up marrying um, a character played by Anya Taylor-Joy so you know he's not doing too bad fair play fair play to him that's Dreamland that's out next week and the uh, LGBT drama Cocoon is out next week as well so I'd say that's a pretty good crop uh, for this week then so we'll uh, we'll adjourn and we'll stockpile some more movies to come back with and uh, talk to you about next week with another fully loaded uh, guide to seven days of cinema for you to enjoy mostly on your couch because we, we, we like to promote safety in the meanwhile this has been Off Screen Night in Van Connor. and I've been Bex Perfect and we shall return <laughs>